0: Our sermon today covers three chapters, and as we were preparing for it, I just, I just felt like, man, there's no way you can fully understand it without just hearing the story, and what a story it is. Three men who didn't know what to do with Jesus, and you said, well, that was Paul. Well, Paul was so full of Jesus, the problem was they didn't know what to do with him. Today, I think many people find themselves in this same conundrum. Today, people are struggling with attaining peace and inward peace. In the passages that we list, listened to, it kept talking about hope, this hope that our forefathers have. Now I am living out that hope and now I am guilty before you because I am living out the hope that they all hope for. And in that context, we see several things. One, we see a man named Felix, Felix in chapter 24, uh, 24 through 26, a man that Paul found favor with. A man that Felix didn't really understand what to do. And Paul stood before him as a slave. Paul stood before Felix as a slave. And what was interesting is, if you study the life of Felix. Felix was Felix was born a slave who found his freedom. Paul was born a free man who found his slavery. Amen. Found his slavery in Christ. Where Paul said, I am a bond servant. a A, a, a servant by choice to Jesus Christ. Paul has his chains on his hands and feet and can only go where people tell him to go. But inwardly, he's a free man. Paul is looking at a man named Felix who can go wherever he wants to, when he wants to. But inwardly, he has chains on his soul. Today, as we thought about the context of this sermon in our sermon prep time, we began to realize that Paul stands before the man who had the power to set him free. Yet, he didn't even bargain for his life. Felix knew that he had the power to set him free. He knew that Paul had a following. That's why we heard it in the verses where he said he kept bringing him back more frequently, hoping that he would pay him some money to get him out of there. But you see, Paul had made no deals because Paul knew where he was going because God had already told him a few chapters earlier, you must go to Rome. And so in this context, Paul didn't make any deals, but he stood bold and tall and he used his opportunity not for his own will, but he used this opportunity to share christ to preach jesus to the governor this world would say man you better tone it down paul you're already in jail you're already bound hand and foot you may want to slip him some money and you may want to work out a deal who do you know man when we get in trouble isn't that the first thing you think about who do i know i mean you're going down the road and you see blue lights in your mirror and you think what parish am i in who who do i know here i mean who do i know it's not paul what paul was doing because they knew paul Paul knew them because Paul recounts his story and we'll look at it in great detail where, I mean, Paul was an influencer. He was a mover and shaker and now this mover and shaker stands before them chained hand and foot. And Paul realizes that the central issue of the day was Felix becoming a believer in Christ. You see, we don't know the full t- context of Paul's message that he was really sharing to Felix. We see it a little bit later with Agrippa and 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 with Festus. But in this context with Felix, we know one thing, that, three things that Paul shared, like any good preacher. We know that he talked to Felix about righteousness and how his forefathers were zealous and righteous, but yet it did not give hope. It was religion trying to produce righteousness instead of a relationship with Christ, trying to produce religion. Paul realized that what appeared here is that in the human view that all of our righteousness is filthy rags before the God, as it says in Isaiah 64 and 6, but we are all as clean uh, as an unclean thing. And all of our unrighteousness are as filthy rags. And we do not fade. I mean, we all do fade as a leaf. And our iniquities are like the wind, and they've been taking away from us. Paul understood the righteous aspect, and he understood that he, in religion, was trying to attain righteousness. But the more he tried to attain his righteousness, the more unrighteous he seemed to become. The other thing that Paul understood that he wanted Felix to grip is that it's all about temperaments. You see, he did not practice this. And one reason he held Paul so long was hoping the believers would raise some money and offer him money to let him go. Why? Because Felix was corrupt. Felix was did not hesitate, if it was in his own advantage, to lie, to murder, to steal, and to take advantage of people. For Felix lived the life of parties and luxury and orgies, sexual orgies and everything else. And he was just looking at how can this benefit me? Man, when you read that description, that sounds a little bit like Washington today, doesn't it? In the context of this, we began to realize that so many people have such a, are familiar with this dichotomy that Felix was living under. Many people have been confronted with the truth about God, but yet their lifestyles do not reflect that there's been a transformation by God. They've been confronted by the power of the Holy Spirit, the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. There's three men. Felix, Festus, and Agrippa. They all had the same problem. Holy Spirit conviction. All of them came to the place in their life where when they heard the gospel, the Holy Spirit moved in their heart. And they found themselves in this conundrum. Because on one side, they had power that they could wield. They had luxury. They had beautiful wives. They had influence. They had wealth. They had all of this. And they had freedom. On the other side, they had the nudging of the Holy Spirit, the prompting of the Holy Spirit, the message of the redemption, the message of the resurrection, and Paul standing in chains. And they're looking at all of this, saying, you want me to give all that up, Paul, to get what you have? And Paul said, yes, please. Because you could never be more free than those who are free indeed in Christ. Paul says, he who the Son is set free is free indeed and we know that is true it talks about temperaments man when you think about that we begin to realize that in that issue that Paul shared the other side the side of hope that you can you may not be able to control your passions and your temper but if you will let god have it he will completely transform you and control you and then he talked about the judgment you see a judgment that cannot be prevented paul talked to all three of them about righteousness about religion, about religious zeal, about temperaments. And he talked to all three of them about judgment. That we stand before God, a just God. It's very important to realize that Felix had to understand this because he was sitting on a throne that was high and it was wide and it was mighty and it was powerful and Felix was almost untouchable. Then here comes a man named Festus. Interesting about generational dynamics we were studying this in sermon prep and when we ran across festus i looked at pastor ralph and lance and said first thing i think about with festus is gun smoke we looked at wade and brandon and they said well the first thing we think about is an nba player i said an nba yeah, there's an nba player named festus i said well, what about the guy on gun smoke he said gun who but nevertheless paul was compelling festus agrippa and felix About the dynamic of what was working in his life. You see, my friends, the fear of God fell on Felix and Paul was putting God in his proper place and as a result, Felix was seeing himself in the proper place. He was there. Felix was moving along. The Holy Spirit was moving and he was agreeing and Paul could see it coming together, could see him moving towards salvation. The gospel message is that God loves sinners, but we must never forget that God hates sin and a love rejected turns to wrath. And as they were moving in this dynamic, the Bible even says, I love what it says in the King James Version. It says and that Felix trembled when he heard the story. That's what Holy Ghost conviction does. It brings about an unrest. It brings about a trembling. He could have gotten saved at that very moment. He could have given his heart to Jesus, but he chose not to because Paul mentioned something about the resurrection. And at that point, they were okay. Felix was okay where this story was going, but now you want to talk about the resurrection. Well, now you've messed everything up, Paul. You had me. I was right there with you. The Holy Spirit was moving. I was following along with you. And then you bring up this resurrection bit. Now we know there's no resurrection. I love later that when he was talking to Agrippa and Festus was having this conversation among themselves, he says he just keeps rattling on about this man that has been raised from the dead. You see, my friends today, the modern church has become intoxicated with power. The modern church has become intoxicated with influence. The modern church has been in- intoxicated and in order for that to happen it needs a lot of people and it needs a lot of money and it needs a lot of people who have money and influence and so in the process of that that the church has chained themselves to a social gospel that is social light and is now is appeasing people to where they are and they can take the gospel in a piccadilly format for those of us who are old enough to remember piccadilly i mean in that context just give me a little bit of this and a little bit of that and let me have my own dilly dinner but that's not what Jesus is saying. That's not what Paul is saying. He's saying, guys, I was a Pharisee of a Pharisee. I was, I was trained in the school of Gamal. I did it all. I was so religious, but I was so empty. Religion brought me power. It brought me influence. It brought me money. It brought me fame. And matter of fact, you really know me from my past, but I am telling you that with all the money, with all the influence, with all the fame, with all that stuff, I am empty. But God demonstrated his love towards me, and we'll see that story in just a minute. We read it a little while ago. I heard it. And so Paul talks to Felix and all three of these men about what conviction is. And so conviction brings us to the point of decision. And Paul then tells Agrippa, he says, Festus didn't know what to do with him. He says, I was going to let him go to Jerusalem, but now he's done a appeal to Caesar. And I've just been trying to wait till you get here. Maybe we can figure something out. Now, these were three men who were problem solvers. If a problem was brought before them, either their influence, their power, or their money could solve it. But all three of them couldn't fix this situation with their money, with their power, or their influence. Because it was a personal battle. It wasn't a national crisis. It was a personal war that was going on in their own heart and their own life. And they couldn't just kill Paul because the Holy Spirit had latched a hold of their heart and was pulling them in. And matter of fact, they really began to be Paul's friend. When we read the end of the story of the book of Acts, you'll find out that Paul was in prison. But boy, it was nothing like a prison. Matter of fact, they were taking care of him. They were bringing him back and forth, having conversation with him, going back and forth all this time. And so in that context, they began to say, uh, man, I, I just r- trying to understand what's happening. And they were brought to the point of the decision. And then Paul shares in chapter 26 and verses 8 through 14, he shares his story and how he was on the road to Damascus. He was being very religious and a voice came from heaven and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he says, who is this? And he says, it is Jesus, the one whom you're persecuting. And then Paul tells his story. He tells his transformation story about how when he was in the same place that Festus, Felix, and Agrippa was in, and the Holy Spirit was drawing on his heart and his life, and God was speaking to him, that he reached the point where he just had a broken and contrite heart because Paul realized who he was and how he was undone and the judgment that he was under and the handwriting's a requirement that was contrary against him. He realized all of that and that he was undone. And he realized who he was and who Jesus really was. And I'ma tell you the moment of salvation happens when you see Jesus for who he is and yourself for who you really are. That's what it was in my life. You see, it's when you can cut through religion. It's when you measure not by religion, not by all those things, but when you measure by, when you measure by Jesus. I mean, when you think about that, you can, you can get all kind of measuring rods. And you can go through all this process, but if you don't have a true one. And Jesus is the only true thing to measure by. So not only is there the conviction in this story with these three men, or actually four men, because Paul's the fourth one, but then Paul shares his story, and he shows the contrition. The Bible says in Psalms 50, A broken and contrite heart the Lord will not despise. That word contrition means a sincere penance or remorse. Sorrow for the destination of sin. Think about that destination for sin. Uh, this is a this isn't a theological. I didn't look this up in a theological book. I just looked this up in the American dictionary, English language. Contrition is when one is sorry for the destination of their sin with a true purpose of amending it arising from a love of God for his own perfections. Well, I'm pretty sure the ACLU hadn't got a hold of that definition yet. Or they'd be trying to change it in the dictionary. Contrition, Paul said, my heart was so contrite before God. And he says, guys, why, why, why won't you do this? Matter of fact, Felix was uh, uh, Agrippa was right there. I mean, he was sitting on the edge of his seat. He was sitting on the edge of his seat, and Paul was telling the story, telling all of this, and telling what God was doing in his heart and his life. He says, whoa, man, whoa, hold on a minute. Did you think it was going to be that easy for you to persuade me to be a Christian? So in his mind, in his mouth, he's saying, you are persuading me. Did you think it was going to be that easy? Paul said, I don't care if it's easy or hard. I'm going to, I'm going to do battle with you, Agrippa, because I want you to know what I know minus these chains. Wow. A contrite heart, a man standing before God, seeing yourself for who you are. And I believe one of the greatest things that is plaguing the modern church today in our nation is that we see ourselves in light of everybody else. We see ourselves in our church world compared to other churches, but we do not see ourselves in light of God. I believe that if we could see Jesus for who He is, us for who we are, and the world for where they are, it would change our prayer life, it would change my passion, it would change my direction, and it would change how we live. The challenge is today that we associate going to church with salvation. We associate giving up a few things and doing a little bit better and reading the Bible and serving in a few capacities to equal salvation. But my friends, I want you to know that equals Christianity without a cross. Jesus said, come and die. Come and die. The Bible says this, for God so loved the world that he gave his son. But he he died for the whole world. But even though he died for the whole world, the whole world's not going to heaven. We don't go to heaven because Jesus died for us. We go to heaven because Jesus died as us. Paul said, I have been, past tense, crucified with Christ. You say, will you quit sharing that scripture, preacher? you wearing it out. I'm going to keep wearing it out till we start living it out. Have been, past tense, crucified with Christ... Now I live present tense. See, Paul is saying it's not just enough for Jesus to die for me. He has to die as you. And one of the things that breaks my heart so much is we have the great tool that Satan is using against people giving it all to Jesus is this, that they realize that Jesus died for them intellectually, but they never understand it emotionally. And in their heart, they've never allowed him to change their soul. They realize what it looks like for Jesus to die on the cross for them, but they don't know how to live on the backside of the cross. I know that Jesus died on the cross, but here's a news alert. He's not still there. The cross is not occupied. The tomb is not occupied. Jesus is at the right hand. Is anybody out there today? I mean, he's sitting at the right hand of the Father. And in that context what he's teaching us and telling us and demonstrating in our heart and our life is this that the cross does not equal salvation. The resurrection does not equal salvation. It makes a way for salvation. Salvation happens when we see ourselves for who we are and him for who he is and we say Lord I am broken, I'm doomed, I'm damned I have a contrite heart. We see ourselves where the handwriting of requirements is so contrary against us that you'll never be able to earn your way pay your way bargain your way or negotiate your way out of the handwritings of requirement that are contrary against you and you just fall down on your knees and you claim the book of colossians where it says that i had a handwriting of requirements that were contrary against me but jesus took it away nailed it to his cross and i might have life liberty and victory over that which was having victory over me somebody please say amen in his house And then because of that, I have been buried with him in baptism that I may be resurrected to walk in the newness of life. Why do you bury somebody? Because they die. Have you ever had somebody tell you this? You probably have or heard it from third hand or something. That their greatest fear is that they'll put them in a casket and they won't be dead or something. I mean, let me tell you something. It's not going to work well to try to bury a living person. They may can do it, but somebody's going to put up a fight. You bury somebody when they pass away. Paul says, I have been crucified. I have been buried with Christ. If I have been buried with Christ, I have been resurrected to walk in the newness of life. I believe today the thing that is crippling the modern church is we have people who are acting like they have died, who are acting like they have been buried. They've gone through a ceremonial service, but they've never been transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what is the gospel? First Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 5, where it says, Paul says, as I declare unto you, Church of Corinth, that Jesus lived according to the Scriptures, He died according to the Scriptures, and He rose again according to the Scriptures. That is the full gospel, my friend. It is not a new denomination. The full gospel is the death, burial, bear- oh my goodness gracious, it's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, plus nothing, minus nothing, all in Him. And today I beg with you, I implore you, for those of you watching at home, sitting here today, please trade in church activity for salvation with a contrite heart. I'm telling you, I was, I was active in church. I was active in church, but it wasn't until a Friday night, not at an altar call. It was at a youth event, at a youth party, where I saw Jesus for who He was and me for who I was. And I was paralyzed just like Paul at that moment because God was speaking through me, through the Holy Spirit, and through His Son Jesus. And what I want you to understand is that at that moment, I didn't want to move. It was like I was paralyzed. I didn't want to go one more inch because I realized that I was a sinner in need of a Savior. And I am so thankful that on a Friday night, without somebody bowing their head, without somebody on a piano, without a preacher talking, that God was talking to me. And right there, transformation happened. Salvation happened in my heart and my life. Quit trying to equate salvation to religious activity. Today I see so many people. They'll start going to church, and their life will start getting better. And they'll start giving things up, and they'll start reading the Bible, and their life's better. I mean, but boy, they never let Jesus die. They never let Jesus die as them. An old mentor of mine, hero of the faith, church planner of church planners, lived in Grant Parish. Moved to South Louisiana saved radically by the gospel of jesus christ and of course there in south louisiana where he was located it was probably about ninety six percent catholic and there he was a non-catholic priest and preacher and he said i'll never forget he said uh first time i ever did a funeral and if you understand that the big things they hand you the, the the cross with jesus on it and they brought him that cross and said i want you to give this to the family He said, I've never been so quickened uh, like I was at that moment. When He said, when they handed me that cross and I saw Jesus on it, and it was in my hand and they wanted me to, what do I do with it? He said, what do I do? I found myself in a conundrum that nobody had trained me for. Nobody ever said, hey, Bobby, before you go down there to South Louisiana, what are you going to do in this situation? He said, I just found myself in that situation. And he said, I'm looking at that cross. And he said, I just started flipping it back and forth. And he said, I realized at that moment, he said, I went after that family and I took that cross. And he said, look, he said, we want you to have this cross. And it's a representation of the body of Jesus that's on that cross. And Jesus died for you and your family on that cross. He said, and this is pretty awesome. And he flipped it over. He said, but the backside did he's no longer on the cross. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus went and pulled the nails out of his hands and feet and buried him. And I'm telling you, it was God that got him up on the third day. Amen. On that great getting up morning. Paul demonstrates his contrite heart and what's happening in this context. And then the last thing we see, contrition is seeing yourself for who you are. Being true about yourself. It's amazing that we even begin to... The greatest tool Satan has today is mesmerizing us with lies about ourselves. And then see, when there is a convicting power of the Holy Spirit and there is a contrite heart, then there will be a conversion. Acts 26, the rest of the story, talks about Paul's life, where it moves from head to heart. In that context, Festus was all in until Paul brought up the resurrection. He couldn't handle that. Many people can't handle the resurrection. Many can't, people can't handle what it's like to live on the backside of the cross. They see Jesus on the cross. They understand, John three sixteen that Jesus is on the cross and he died for the whole world. But they don't understand what it looks like on the backside of the cross. How do I live over here on this side where Jesus isn't there? Because to live on the back side of the cross, you've got to give it all to Jesus. You've got to give it all. You've got to give it all. Give it all to him. Paul says, guys, I was so religious. I received money, power, prestige, pomp, just like you have. But he said, on the road to Damascus, Jesus came and spoke to me in my own language, Hebrew. He didn't send, he didn't send Michael, he didn't send Gabriel, Jesus came and he said, Son, what are you doing? What are you doing? He said, I want you to get up. Get up and stand on your feet. Get up because i got some things for you to do. I want you to understand that nobody can come to the Spirit unless someone draws them. And Paul receives this message right here in chapter 26 and verses 17 through 18. And he says, here's what I want you to do to open the eyes that they may turn from darkness to light, that they may flee from the power of Satan to the power of God, and they may receive forgiveness of their sins and share among those who are sanctified, producing the works worthy of faith. Simply put, to, the word to means to what? To open eyes. The, what, the next word, to leave. To leave what? To leave the darkness for the light. Isn't it amazing how much we hate darkness? Imagine the money that was spent last week trying to not live in darkness. I mean, I already had my generator, I already had all that stuff. But I probably still spent $100 getting me some extra fuel and this and that, making sure I don't have darkness. Really, for me, is was making sure I had air conditioning, to be honest. Can I get a witness? Somebody said, oh, it's about your freezer. No, I can cook all that pretty quick. It's about sweating. See, what I was saying is we really wanted the power. And you can't have light unless you have power. And everybody went to great extremes to make sure they had artificial power. To experience what? The power of God and not of Satan. Deliverance from the enemy to embrace. To embrace what? Forgiveness. To live for what? Works worthy of repentance. If you're going to say you're a Christian, be one.